Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, Wellstart Health and Sick to Fit. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a happy and humorous life. So today we've got a really fun episode. This is me trying very hard not to fanboy one of my favorite performers, the comedian Mike Kaplan. And if you look for Mike Kaplan online, you have to spell Mike M-Y-Q, which makes it very easy to find him. So he's a stand-up comedian who also happens to be a vegan, or perhaps it's the other way around. And he's a big deal. He's been on The Tonight Show, Conan, Late Show with David Letterman, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Late Late Show with James Corden. He's got his own half-hour Comedy Central Presents special and a one-hour special on Netflix and Amazon called Small, Dork, and Handsome. Um, my daughter introduced me to his work. I was immediately hooked. He talks a lot about important issues, about veganism, about gay rights, about civil rights, and he manages to coat his very, very strong and powerful progressive opinions in humor, which can make them sort of more palatable and we can help people think about them in different ways. So I wanted to talk to him about uh, his strategic use of humor to help people get messages that otherwise they might be resistant to. And also just to have a fun conversation with a hilarious guy who's also extremely thoughtful extremely kind and extremely committed to his own development and to bettering the world around him. Uh, he, co he contributed an essay to a book that I also uh, wrote an essay for called The Reducitarian Solution, which was edited by another Plant Yourself guest, Brian Kateman, K-A-T-E-M-A-N. You can look him up in the show notes as well. Uh, so Mike is really sort of putting his money where his mic is, that's M-I-C, microphone, to, uh, to really spread the word. You can catch a lot of his comedy on YouTube and Spotify. And I would also encourage you to go and, and purchase his works and you become a patron of his on Patreon. He's got a uh, podcast called uh, Broccoli and Ice Cream. And there's a free episode every week and also one that you get if you become a patron and support him financially. One thing you'll notice when you start listening to his work is how careful he is with language. And just to give you a teaser from our conversation, the, think of the difference between the question, do you eat chicken? And do you eat chickens? Oh, and we did a Skype video recording of this call. So if you'd like to watch the video, you can see it embedded at plantyourself.com slash 360. 
30 seconds of commercial messages before we get to the interview. First of all, the New Orleans Sick to Fit Retreat still has room for two more couples or two more individuals. Go to sicktofit.com slash N-O-L-A, NOLA, as in New Orleans, Louisiana. Secondly, there is another Sick to Fit Retreat scheduled for North Carolina. That's June 4th through 7th. 2020. And you can find that at sicktofit.com slash NC as in North Carolina. All right, let's get to it. Without further ado, Mike Kaplan, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you sound just like yourself. Uh, that makes sense. I I have been working on it for a while. <laughs> so um, I wanted to talk to you for a couple of reasons. One is you are my and my daughter's one of our, our favorite comics. Um, Thank so, you. So I'm, so I'm working on, you know, not, not doing too much of the fanboy vibe here. Oh, sure. You're uh, doing great. <laughs> um, and the second is you, you have written and you talk about veganism and plant-based and reducitarian living. And you you do it in a in a really elegant, fun, funny way, you know, just like in in our in our world, like most people that I know get their news from, you know, Trevor Noah and Colbert and Seth Meyers. It's like there's 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 ways in which speaking comically can get through to people, whereas uh, preaching doesn't. So I kind of wanted to to chat with you about the, the intersections of all of all that work. Uh, sure, I appreciate it. Uh, your your words are very kind. Uh, a thing that I read recently, or that uh, my girlfriend read and I reread, uh, is this book by George Saunders, uh, "The Brain Dead Megaphone," and it's uh, nonfiction, uh, like sort of humorous, like socio political, philosophical, uh, like just beautiful artistic essays about art and life. And one of the things he says about uh, comedy is that it's uh, his definition of it or one definition of it is something like uh, what is it uh, it's getting the truth delivered quicker than you thought <laughs> or quicker than you expected and so I think the way that uh, like a lot of comedians uh, have always been you know speaking truths about society or about the you know the ills of the world the the challenges that we face that uh, hopefully by naming them help identify the problems and then uh they can be worked on uh like sometimes like personally sometimes like naming a problem is all that you need to do a friend of uh a friend and i call this uh rumple stiltskinning you know you <laughs> you name name the the problem uh, uh name the villain and then the villain's power goes away like if you're like why am i feeling this way and you're like oh it's this sadness it's this anxiety this uh depressing aspect of of my experience that if you're for myself like if i'm ignoring it or if i'm like i shouldn't be feeling that way then sometimes that can compound it and make it worse so i think that sometimes being able to like you know laugh at ourselves laugh at our predicaments like that's a good place to start you know knowing that we're flawed and you know, hopefully working to improve ourselves, improve the world. And then from, from ourselves, I mean, for myself, like, you know, becoming vegan once I sort of, you know, learned, there's like always a disconnect between like, well, this is just how it is. This is how you, you grow up. You don't have control over things. Like when you're a baby, a child, then you get more and more potential 
autonomy and you're like, oh, the way things are needn't be the way things always have to be because uh, that it, that literally things are changing all the time and like society today is different than it was in the past. Individual life is different today than it was in the past. And so, and so humor, certainly, like there's a, a long a lineage of comedians uh, using it to, I mean, I don't know if everyone's, you know, certainly it's not everyone's goal to change everything for the better, but sometimes it's just identifying things that are glaring problems. And I think the skill that a lot of comedians have is to be like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Like why, right, right. you know, why is it, you know, whether it's, you know, hey, in this country they eat these animals, but they don't eat these animals. In this country they eat these ones, but they don't eat these ones. Like, isn't it weird? You know, like, why is a pig different than a dog, different than a cow, different than a, a chimp, different than a human? Like, and the, I mean, certainly the answer seems to me like, well, who's right? Who's right to eat what animals? I mean, like, I think, uh, why don't we just not eat any of them while we figure out, uh, <laughs> uh, so... So, yeah, right. so and, so, I, I, and so that's, you know, like a, a hilarious way of getting to sort of a precautionary principle, which people talk about sort of very seriously and academically. And, I, you know, I remember taking um, like a six week class on, you know, doing stand up and the first prompt they gave us, like, you know, how did we come up with material? And it's like, just start with, you know, what's weird, you know, what's crazy, you know? And like, as soon as like they gave us that prompt, it's like, oh, like everywhere I look, everything's weird and crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the way to get started on any kind of comedy, like uh, writing, art, music, creation of any kind is like, what, like, what are you noticing? Like with comedy, I think sometimes people, uh, people ask, the way that people ask questions when they are not comedians, they're like, oh, do you have to change your material like when you go to different geographic locations do you change your material depending on like the age of the audience or the demographics and uh like those aren't uh necessarily like those aren't silly questions but they they miss something in that uh all comedy starts fr from within like most comedians start from like what is noteworthy interesting like something that either bothers them or something that you notice what it, what is in your experience like there's there's the whole world that you can you know observe and take in and make you know hypotheses about and then also the the comedian often turns like inward and be like oh what what do i notice about myself because also our observations about everything in the outside world like we can't escape you know the filter uh of our own mm -hmm. perspective so that is, you know, self-analysis is often uh, a necessary part of comedy and also of life as well. If we if we're like, why don't people do the right thing? Why don't why? What can we do to make everyone? And like, you know, we literally can't like physically force people to do things. We can only do things ourselves and with our you know thoughts and actions and words, hopefully live by example and present, you know, convincing valuable pieces of information and knowledge and be like, Hey, if you do it like this, this is pretty good. Like, I mean, for veganism, it's, it's sort of mind boggling that, uh, the, like there's people do it for so many reasons now. Like, like I started doing it because I learned how animals were being treated, uh, the ethics of it. And then there's people today who are like also on a larger scale ethics of, you know, the survival of, uh, 
so much so much life on the planet human life the environment you know climate change like it's sort of like you know the the trolley problem i've been working uh on a joke about this sort of philosophical concept like you know the trolley's heading towards oh right uh, who's who does it kill who, whether it kills people sort of proactively or or, or passively. passively yeah yeah so like if the trolley is heading for five people and you can switch the track and make it only kill one person you are choosing to actively kill one person but to but if you didn't do anything it would passively kill five people but the way that i feel like climate changes and that how veganism can help fight it it's basically like animals and humans are on the same track and we're like hey do we want to just move it to the track where it doesn't hit anyone <laughs> where it doesn't hit any animals <laughs> or humans and they're like i don't know i kind of just like i'm lazy and don't want you know what whatever the like we're all used to the status right like, ah, it's just it's just what is it's just how it's been uh but then obviously it it helps human health it helps animal health it helps uh the mass you know the human races health uh so i guess i mean i hope that's the uh, that's the answer everybody's watching and just uh, just do it uh and we'll be but but we can't we can only we can only do it ourselves and then like uh, you know offer it in ways that i guess that's to sort of speak to i think a question that you asked like the way that i've been doing comedy about veganism and it's not it's not all that i talk about but since it's a part of my life it's something that comes up mm. Uh, and when I think new things about it, I like sharing them. But for the past, you know, uh, decade or almost two decades, I've been uh, vegan, vegetarian, some combination. I think I've been vegan for like 17 or 18 years now. And I've been a comedian about that time. So I've always been doing it and writing about it. And I've also been aware that most people aren't vegan or vegetarian. And so most of my audiences aren't vegan or vegetarian. So uh, I feel like yelling what I think is true uh, is not going to be effective as either comedy or activism. <laughs> and so it has been uh, valuable for me to know like, oh, well, this is where people are and this is where I am and I'm presenting where I am uh, as, as truthfully and hopefully thoughtfully and humorously as I can to have people receive it as comedy and receive it as uh, as truth. Right. And um, I mean, what, one thing I didn't realize that I wanted to talk to you about until just now is like the the link between being a comedian and becoming a vegan or being a, thinking comedically about the world, whether you're a professional or not. I think there's people who just by their nature think that way, like what's what's weird, what's strange, what doesn't make sense. And like, I think your skill set kind of provides a blueprint for vegans to or, you know, like for anyone who wants to make a, a difference in the world in a positive way and then finds that they're they're in opposition to all these entrenched forces. Like, I, you know, like the first bit I heard of yours was about the cheese baby. Ah, and okay. it's like. Right. You're uh, like vegans can get very upset as we look at the world around us and, and see, you know, our kin being tortured and slaughtered. And, and yet you you have you had a way of. Of kind of declawing it to the point where you could present it to people. 
and then the clause can come come back in. They can, they can let the clause in themselves. Can you talk talk about like that bit and how it. Uh... Uh, great. I I appreciate the the kind words you're saying. I I have to admit sincerely that that bit is. Uh, from so long in the past that I <laughs> I don't actually have it fully uh, in my uh, my current memory. So oh. if you want to paraphrase it briefly, I would oh. be. Uh, oh man, I should, I should have my daughter on the line. She's got ah. a, a, a an auditory memory of everything. Um, but I mean, basically, you're saying you're you're making fun of people who are like, yeah, but cheese, right? Like, oh, but the trolley won't kill anyone. But I but oh, I can't yeah. have cheese anymore. Okay, so it's like, would because, you would you eat a baby if it? <laughs> oh yeah, if it if it was delicious. Yeah, I mean that's. Thank you. Yeah, that makes uh, essentially like there is great like the world is full of there is logic and there is illogic and we are all capable of. I think the, when we see things that we're like this doesn't make sense. Sometimes we're like, well, what, you know, well, what can, what can you do? Like some of these people say, what can you do as though there's, as though the answer is nothing. And what can you do? Just try and make things a little better yourself, even though it's just a drop in the bucket of the ocean that if everyone does that, then maybe the ocean will be a little purer and less full of uh, whatever the, the tortured thing is. Um, It's, yeah, it. I think that so many people, there's so many people who are not vegetarian or vegan that are intellectually aware of the the harm that is being caused in in the system, uh, and they don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to know about it because it's rightly a sensitive area. It makes sense that. People are like, oh, I don't want to think about torture. I don't want to know about this unnecessary suffering that is being caused. Even though they're like, I know about it, but now that I know about it, like, I don't want to think about it because, like, what can I do? Especially because, like, I heard recently uh, a story that the Dalai Lama went, I believe, to Auschwitz and, like, was on his knees praying. And somebody asked him, like, what were you praying for or what were you praying about? And he said, I pray, uh, I'm praying that I never contribute to something like this. Mm. Not just that it doesn't happen, but that he is not a part of it. And I'm not trying to, you know, there's, there's a difference between, I think, in, in our culture today, uh, the concepts of calling out versus calling in. Uh, whereas if you're calling someone out, uh, it's not likely to be effective because it's making people feel uh, maybe perhaps like insecure or put upon or attacked as opposed to like if you're like you're doing this and I'm not doing this. But calling in to be like, hey, like we, we're all potential and I might be uh, misinterpreting the phrase in some ways. But my understanding is like hey, we're all like here trying to do our best trying to do what you know, live in the world to you know take care of ourselves our family our you know our chosen family our larger family our community our society our world like all beings that we can that we think are worth caring for which hopefully is as close to all <laughs> beings as possible that have consciousness and the capacity to experience pleasure 
and pain. And so there is a disconnect for people, like as, because societally speaking, you know, in the last hundreds of years, with the te- you know technology advancing to the point that there's such a removal between you know the even the name of the the animal. Like I have a friend who says, like, oh, do you eat chickens? You know, even just <laughs> as opposed to do you eat, you know, this mass because even chicken is the only one of the only meats that the animal and the meat name is the same, like <laughs> as opposed to cow and beef or sheep and mutton or deer and venison or pig and pork. It's like chicken and chicken. But chicken has become like a mass noun name chicken. They're like, oh, yeah, it's just stuff. Chicken is just it's material. It's not, you know, a living being or a dead being. It's. But so saying, do you eat chickens, uh, like sort of forces the, the cognitive dissonance to activate and be like, oh, like these are chickens. And so I think, I mean, I, and so I can understand because I, I also like for years, like ate meat for, and there are still ways in which I'm sure I am not doing everything that I can to make, you know, my life and the world as better a place as possible because I am also still a flawed human being. And so I feel like we, we, if you are, you know, we're, it's all we, but if you are a person who has come, come along the part of the path where you're like, I, you know, want to cause as little harm as possible. And veganism is a way that I'm doing that. And we can hopefully empathize with the, the parts of ourselves that, weren't at that point the whole time and other people who are at those points now. And so the idea that the question that you asked about, you know, offering the joke, offering something that is like logically sound, like, and true that if, if they're, if we like to think of ourselves as right, I think all people like to think of ourselves as like, you know, logical and doing things because we have thought about them and can justify them and care about the reasons uh when uh there's a joke i heard a long time ago uh by a comedian that was like i i know that eating animals is wrong i just don't care that it's wrong and that i think encapsulated (laughs) kind of like in a zen koan like way what i think so many people are experiencing they're like yeah 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 like the intellectual content of it makes sense mm-hmm. uh but i don't have to think about it unless i'm made to watch a movie or read a book or like engage with the information and so the joke perhaps is like a sneaky way of doing that being like ah, it's just a just a harmless joke that what, what can a joke what can words hurt what can words hurt but word and the words aren't hurting the words are actually you know potentially you know, infiltrating into the person's, you know, system and psyche. Like this is, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, comedians are master manipulators. That's what I'm saying. Uh, (laughs) It's not, not like what I set out to say, but I guess it is that the joke gets in there uh, and you're like, Oh, just a soft, a soft animal paw. And then there are the, the claws of the reality, which are that there is suffering and what can we do? We can do something. And so it's good for people to feel, discomfort sometimes but if you lead with discomfort they might run away and and i think one of the things that you do and i think a lot of comedians do this is of course you're turning the spotlight on yourself and you're pointing out your own hypocrisies and the ironies so just like i i i I think eating animals is wrong but i don't care that it's wrong you know that you're 
you're going first in a way which which undercuts all of the the problems of being right and righteous right like no nobody wants to be the asshole right so if you if if you go first you're kind of giving permission for other people to say yeah i also have things inside that i could look at a little closer yes and so the idea that i mean I think anyone who is an asshole in any way is that way because someone was an asshole to them, whether it was, you know, a peer, uh, an authoritative structure, uh, you know, society, their family, their parents, like whatever, whatever or whoever it was like. And so the idea that I feel like so many of us think that if we are being, if somebody's like, you're being an asshole, like, well, you're being an asshole. And it's just asshole, asshole, <laughs> like in an infinite mirror reflecting back and forth. And at a certain point, you're both right. And, uh, and that's not necessarily the most constructive or productive, but I, it's understandable because we're like, well, this is what happened yeah. to me. And so that's why I am the way that yeah. I am. That's, and so the past makes sense, but also doesn't necessarily mandate or justify or require a certain future and in fact you know again being you know em empathetic to oh yeah our our child self who was not treated perfectly our our current self who is not treated perfectly any being that's not treated perfectly like don't why don't we want we want everyone it would be best if everyone was treated quote whatever quote unquote perfectly or as close to perfectly is but yes by saying Okay, yeah, I'm I'm an asshole sometimes. I don't do the right things all the time, and so if, if that can't be, it it doesn't make sense for that to be the end of the conversation. If somebody's like, oh, okay, so you're an asshole sometimes, you're a hypocrite sometimes. I'm an asshole sometimes. I'm a hypocrite sometimes. Great, we're just all hypocritical assholes, and let's just leave it there. Like it would make sense to be like, okay, well then, let's. Why don't we all work on what we can do ourselves individually and working together collectively to hopefully be uh, less hypocritical and less assholes. And so that's like the, the, the aspect of calling in, which is like, yeah, let, let us, let's, let's like where we are in where we're in this life, reality, universe, world, you know, circumstances together. We're here and we, we can be assholes and we can try not to be. Right. And I think, you know, I, I think I believe that most people's impulses are to be as good as they can. And one of the ways in which we kind of reinforce people's assholeness is by calling them out. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. So that by by saying by and again, comedy is like I think there's something I haven't really studied this. You know, I do like do a lot of body work and work with people around health. But I, I haven't really studied the physiology of laughter. But I suspect that there are things going on when we are laughing or laughing in a certain way that that maybe turns off some of the asshole circuits. Uh, that could be. I think so. There's a, a scientist named Peter McGraw who has done some work. Uh, I think he, he, he and maybe fellow researchers have put out a book called The Humor Code. And they are researching humor and comedy and laughter and what what makes these things arise scientifically. And one of their theories, or their the main theory that I remember from them, is called uh, benign violation. Hmm. That uh, there is that maybe goes back evolutionarily to 
like if we heard a rustling in the bushes and were worried that it was a saber-toothed tiger, uh, and then and so we get scared, we're fearful of our own death, uh, and then the bushes part and our friend comes out and we're like, oh, it was <laughs> it wasn't a tiger, it was my friend. Oh, that's like in a way maybe not funny, but that's where like nervous laughter can be released because it was like it seemed like it could have been a violation, but it turned out to be benign, which mm. is the same kind of thing that jokes can do. Like jokes can present like hard satirical like truths about difficult topics, but delivered with a smile, with sort of, you know, a Zen koan like yin yang of uh suffering and joy in in the same moment, like a, a bittersweet flavor of like, oh God, like that, you know, it's painful, but it's joyful. And, and so I think that being an asshole, like, you know, being angry, being aggressive, that comes from a similar place of fear that comes from uh, wanting to protect ourselves of being insecure, like, and that, so the, the same kind of fear that you worry about whether there's a tiger in the bush. Uh, and so laughter is a thing uh, that I think exemplifies uh, the the lack of fear, the calming, mm. uh, that that moment where, and so I can't speak to exactly like the causality versus the correlation of it, but the same way that they say, like, if you're not feeling happy, but you smile, then just the act of smiling, uh, your your brain is like, oh, we're smiling, so that must mean we're happy a little bit, Mm. Uh, so you actually do become happier and perhaps with laughing, uh, the same thing is that your brain's like, oh, we're laughing this. Okay. We're safe. We're calm. We don't need to be a jerk. We're okay. Right. And that's so fascinating because so much of the work I do with people is their fight or flight response has been sort of locked in somehow. And so people are trying to eat healthier, but they're constantly stressed out like they they don't have control. And so we do a lot of work on the neurology to kind of get people to learn how to relax. And so I think you know, if laughter, like if you think it's a saber toothed tiger, you're going to and you're trapped, you're going to attack it. And so the laughter might be the physiological, just like you said, the the, the think quicker, the truth quicker than you expected. The laughter can get you to, oh, it's friend. Therefore, I'm going to downregulate so I can be appropriate. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think we could all uh, also relate to the idea like, you know, sometimes like a friend might jump out at us to you know, fake <laughs> surprise fun, scare us. But <laughs> and sometimes you might be actually like, you know, scared and mad and you might you might be like, hey, like, you know, don't you know, don't do that. And so then the, the question of like, you know, intent in all these things, like whether and even somebody, you know, somebody steps on your foot on the train and you get angry at them, even though you're not, you know, like they didn't intend that there. But but you're still in pain. You still feel fear. You still feel aggrieved. Like there's a, do you know, you know, Ramdas? Mm -hmm. uh, Ramdas. I love uh, the once. Oh, yes. Uh, he he was talking once about there was a, a man in a boat floating, uh, rowing through a great fog. And then through the fog, all of a sudden, another boat just slams into his boat. 
and he he's like, hey, he reacts with anger, and then the fog lifts briefly, and he sees that there's actually nobody in that boat. It was just a freely floating boat, and so he's like, who is this anger? Like, where is it? Like, it's only in him, and it's not at anyone, and that's kind of like, you know, what the world is like sometimes. Like, even when it is somebody, even if somebody is endeavoring to do us harm, it, that's, again, because because of their circumstances, because they were harmed. And we can understand, like, we, unless you are, you know, let's say a sociopath, a psychopath, like a sadist who wants to cause pain just for the sake of causing pain, which is m not most people, I think, scientifically, statistically, <laughs> I agree with you that most people, like, are reasonable and would want everyone to, if possible, to experience more pleasure than pain, no unnecessary pain. And, and so if that is our ideal, if that is our, you know, philosophy, then how do we apply it? Which is a thing that I've only like been explicitly thinking about recently uh, in the past few years of like actively know, like you can know the slogans of, of how to behave and how to live and how to treat people and how to, you know, forgive and be compassionate. And then also uh, applying those things is different than knowing them. Like, because some, sometimes people are like, yell, like, you know, imagine like when you're a kid and you're like talking, quite whispering to your friends and a teacher shushes you louder than you were talking. <laughs> like, I, I remember, I feel like that's, and we all do things like that. We all have these like humorous hypocrisies within us that we can start from ourselves and then hopefully use that as, you know, bait to draw other people into uh, hopefully improving themselves and the lot of uh, any beings that they uh, interact with. Right. And, and it's, it's such a generative place to come from if you're if you're looking to, you know, call in and, and change hearts and minds. You know, I was I was a school teacher in the 1980s, which means that I had a terrible relationship with a photocopier. And I used to, and I, we all we like we would get mad at the photocopier like it was a bad person. Ah. And what I eventually learned from that was that most broken people are, are photocopiers like they're just like getting kicking them, getting mad at them doesn't help and they can't help what they're doing. But but. You know, there's there's maybe some ways in which my friendship uh, can, you know, my understanding, my kindness can help. And I think for for a lot of vegans, especially, it's so easy to look out in the world or, you know, environmentalists or, you know, uh, trans activists or anti homophobic like anyone who's looking and seeing so much cruelty and pain and so much that looks premeditated and uh, systemic. I think it's a really important antidote for us to constantly be thinking of people like they're not doing <laughs> they're not they're doing the best they can somehow. I I like the idea the analogy of of the person uh as the photocopier because in ways, you know, we have received genetic code and, you know, environmental uh nurturing like 
or non-nurturing, whatever environment, whatever factors went into us, like that's what we create. You know, I know this isn't the exact meaning of like uh, as above, below, but you know, we we receive and then things flow through us. And it's not to say that there's no on a on a certain level, you know, personal responsibility, but. but yeah, of course, we can, if we're dealing with a photocopier or the photocopier of a person, like the good news about a human photocopier is that we do grow and change in ways that being friendly to a human is more effective, being understanding and empathetic and caring and compassionate and you know understanding where the photocopier human came from is going to be more effective than being like, oh, nice photocopier, please be friendly to me, like have you heard that you've heard the thing I'm sure uh holding a grudge is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die <laughs> I like that's, that's a fa- that's a famous thing that I don't know what like the original source but the addendum that I I have added to it is uh, and forgiving people or being <laughs> compassionate uh being understanding being empathetic like that is like taking vitamins and hoping that other people improve and <laughs> It can also, like both of those things, uh, like it can be effective. Like the more, you know, you care for yourself, like the better able you are to care for others. The more you care for others, like hopefully, you know, there's this, you know, equilibrium that floats back and forth, uh, uh, this pendulum that swings. Like it's important to do both. It's important to care, like for yourself, but not only yourself. It's important to care for others, but not forget yourself, like because we are all, you know, hopefully in this together, establishing uh, an ideal personal and societal uh, and in all ways equilibrium. Um, So I have some questions about like your craft as it connects to activism. So do you, um, I, I mean, I assume you want to be funny first. Right. So do you ever feel like tension between like the point I want to make and and getting the audience reaction or being as funny as possible? Uh, That's a good question. I will answer it in a very probably long and roundabout way. But uh, when I started doing comedy, I didn't know how to do it, which makes sense. You don't know really how to do anything (laughs) until you're doing it how, even roughly, like, how, how old were you at this point like high school uh, 24 or? okay 24. okay um like i i taught myself guitar in high school i've been playing the violin my whole life my parents were music teachers i guitar playing songs writing songs when i which i started around maybe age 15 16 uh that was like the first time that i was like i like came online i feel i was like oh this is like this creative spark is the thing that i want to uh, foster that I want to flourish. Uh, and so I didn't know at the time, like how it would manifest, but I eventually d- was writing funny songs like in my teens in, and in college. And then I started performing at all places around Boston where I was in school, like mostly music venues, but one comedy club that I played my funny songs at. And in between the songs I would talk. And that is what made me realize that I also, that I also, and then overwhelmingly wanted to do comedy uh, but even then, knowing that that's what I wanted to do, like the same way I learned to juggle in high school, and I learned it actually in a public speaking class where everyone had to present uh, a how-to talk in five minutes. So one uh, one student, this girl, Christine, 
she was like, here's how you juggle. And she demonstrated it and, and spoke through the steps of it, which was basically like you start with one, you throw it till it's right in front of your face and you catch it. You just keep doing that until you can do that, you know, without even looking at your hands, you just one ball back and forth. And then you do two balls and then you, you start with one in each hand. And when one's in front of your face, in front of your forehead, in front of your eyes, uh, then you throw the other one and then you catch them both. And then you just keep doing that until you can do that. And then that's all you do with three. And then you just, you keep going. And I retained that. It was so simple, but so I knew how to do it intellectually, but until I started actively doing it, it's like applying, knowing the slogan and applying the slogan. I started applying the slogans. And I was like, oh, eventually I could do it. And now I can juggle. And so with comedy, I understood that the throwing of the balls was going out in front of audiences and sh- and saying things of like writing things down at home of coming up with ideas and going on stage and expressing them and being like, is this a joke in the beginning more asking jokes than telling jokes. <laughs> and so at that point, and I think that, and this is different for everyone. Like there's so many comedians who are doing wonderful, like political comedy, like social justice work in comedy uh, you know, their own, like Maria Bamford talking about her own struggles with mental health, mental illness, uh, which is, you know, paving the way for, like, it's an in for so many, I feel like, people who are marginalized to to be seen and feel heard. And uh, like Aparna Nanchurla and Hari Kondabolu and W. Kamau Bell, like there's so many people who are doing this great work. And I don't know if when, maybe when they started, they were like, I'm going to talk about these important things no matter what. Like, I think, I do think that the goal, it's, so the question of whether it's funny first uh, is kind of like, it's, it's a, a chicken egg thing, so to speak. I think that's an okay expression because in this the chicken and egg are living and birthing and continuing a process of uh, of life unimpeded by uh humans or farms but um yeah it's better it's better than the tofu and the soybean yeah um so for myself i started by trying telling jokes about anything like sometimes they were like the co- anything that came to me because i didn't know like I didn't know if anything would be funny, so I just tried everything. Some jokes about my personal life, some jokes that were just silly observations, some things about uh, just words and the structure of language, some things about social justice, some things about veganism, some things about Mm -hmm. movies and pop culture. Just my whole life experience was like, you know, put into uh, the the wood chipper, the idea chipper, the, uh, my friend Zach Sherwin and I sometimes call it the word chipper. Uh, and then it comes out and we're like, is this funny? Is this good? Is this worthwhile comedic art? And in the beginning, like if you listen to, you know, my first album that came out 10 years ago or or so, like there are like, there's jokes of all kinds. Like some jokes are about vegetarianism and veganism. Some jokes are about homophobia and racism. Some jokes are just about silly things that don't matter or, you know, don't matter in the same way that those other topics are, you know, meaningful to the way that I want to express things in the world. I mean, sometimes just being funny for funny's sake, like without regard to what, what the topic is or a goal or aim to change anything, like sometimes that is valuable of itself in a moment to help uh, connect with humans and make, uh, with other humans, I'm also human, uh, and 
and inspire joy, just joy in a moment, but, or but, not but, and. And moving forward, as I did comedy for years and years, I I learned that, not that I could make anything funny to any person, but I learned that uh, that's more true than not. Like, Emo Phillips is a wonderful comedian who, I heard in an interview once say, like when somebody asked him, do you think you're better at writing jokes now? And he said, I think I'm actually the same at writing jokes, but I'm better at assessing which jokes are going to be the ones that are the funniest and most successful. And maybe that's true, but also maybe he was getting better. And so any of the jokes that he chose would have been the best. But so for myself, I now in the last couple hours of comedy that I've created, I have done so with more purpose. Like I still create any idea that I think could be funny. A funny thing happens. Somebody, I say a funny thing. Like I see a funny sign. Like it doesn't have to be about activism or social justice. I like, I write it down. I record it. I some, I'll try. I, I have so many more ideas now, like for every, like I probably have a thousand ideas for every like 10 ideas I try on stage. Maybe that's not the number, but mm-hmm. I just, the the churning of the mind, the, you know, ec- the o- openness to the world and possibility of what could be shared as a joke idea, like that is so plentiful compared to, you know, the one, two, three times I might get on stage in a night or the, the hours, uh, if I'm, do- however long I'm doing, like some of it's dedicated to, you know, planting seeds of new ideas and growing them. And like, I read this thing in a Thich Nhat Hanh book about, I think the book was maybe how to, it was either how to fight or how to love. (laughs) Uh, And it was about how when we feel challenged, when we feel anger, we can water the seeds of anger and then that's what will grow. Or we can water the seeds of compassion for ourselves, for others, for that moment. And then the seeds of compassion, whatever whatever seeds you water will grow. And I realize that is so for my comedy as well. Like if I spend a certain amount of time writing every day, thinking every day, meditating on ideas every day, uh, if like I can't force any jokes to arise, I can't make myself have an idea. But if I start writing about, you know, gay rights or trans rights or, you know, animal rights, uh, if I start, if I, the more I have my mind, thinking in that direction, then I think the more flowers will blossom, the more that plant will uh, rise from the soil and grow, and then I can prune it and shape it into the show, the joke, the idea, the art, the comedy that I want it to be. Uh, so it's a, it's a cyclical process that, you know, I think like nature itself continues to, you know, feed, you know, the water from the ocean evaporates to the clouds, rains down. And hopefully, uh, by, you know, aiming myself, uh, by orienting myself towards and focusing on the ideas that I want to, it's like a confluence. It's not that I have to choose between being funny and, uh, you know, saying the things that I want to say, like I want to do both and I get to do both. And like, if I had it, like, there definitely are ideas that I've had where I'm like, this is a good concept uh, that I want to express and I need to make it funny 
or else I can't do it as comedy. I could, mm. you know, make write it as an essay. I could have it be a poem or a song. But if it isn't a, a certain level of funny, and I mean, and these are all guidelines. Like if you watch George Carlin, uh, you know, one of the people who's like cited as like one of the most influential comedians, one of the funniest comedians. Like if you look at any any special of his, an hour and a half, a ninety minute special, like there might be chunks of it that he's going without laughter because he's saying something that is meaningful and poetic and artistic maybe it is more poem or spoken word in that moment and it's part of and so i also i that is an inspiration as well like he is being himself doing the things that he wants to do saying the important things and getting the laughs that he wants to often at the same time but sometimes one at a time and so if I'm doing comedy, like certainly the goal is to be on average as funny as possible. And also as a human being, my goal is to on average be, you know, doing the best work, being my best self, uh, the best I can. And my work as, as a human and comedian is to bring those two in as close a confluence as I can. Uh-huh. So one question that just came to me is you've, you've cited Thich Nhat Hanh and Ram Dass. Um, I became what I thought was funny in junior high to stop people from teasing me. And so, sure. so my comedy was very much, you know, pull out the sword, wave it around, put it back in and, you know, sit down with a self-satisfied grin. Like it was very defensive. And I and I know from you know studying comedians that a lot of comedians come from very troubled backgrounds, and it's like you know they're they're working on their own shit and stuff like that. And I'm getting the impression that like um, you're approaching you know you, you've been talked a lot about positivity in the the essay you wrote for the Reducitarian Solution. You talk about like the very first thing is why are we worried about what's not on our plate? Like let's just be happy with what is. That there you're 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 working really hard on yourself in a in a very sort of positive way. And I'm curious, I'm curious whether, you know, when you started in comedy, whether I mean, I'm not even sure exactly what the question is, but like, how come how come you're not this troubled, you know, drug addict? <laughs> sure. I don't know. Does that does I'm trying to get to something here like you chose something in addition to comedy to to water in your life uh, yeah i i can speak to that first thank you is and first a question is that sword analogy like pulling out the sword waving it around and putting it back in is that of your own creation or is that from uh it's very hmm. evocative um i think i mean i'm who knows where i get metaphors from but it's certainly um it's beautiful <laughs> actually i think it was there was something like that in an essay in the Big Book of Jewish Humor, okay, um, which is saying that the, the Jewish humor is before the before the anti semites can attack you, you pull out the sword, you cut yourself, you put it back and say try to do better than that. So I think that's that, really I think that's that really might interesting. be interesting. <laughs> uh, I actually on that on that subject a brief interlude. Uh, I heard once years ago that there was uh, an Iranian newspaper that held a, uh, a Jewish a Holocaust joke competition. They were like, send us your best Holocaust jokes. And it was not in like 
you know, uh, a positive, mm. loving spirit. Uh, and in response, an Israeli magazine uh, or newspaper said, well, oh, you're going to have a Holocaust joke competition? Well, you know what we're going to do then? We're going to have a Holocaust joke competition. <laughs> uh, so, like, kind of the same thing, like, eight-mile style, you know, like... Uh-huh. <laughs> Take the take yourself down as far as possible, and then nobody can. If you're lying on the ground, nobody can knock you over. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a thing, a quote from Harry Shearer, I believe, you know, uh, comedy uh, from The Simpsons and otherwise. He, I think, he was on Mark Maron's podcast, and I think Mark either or Mark has quoted him as saying, like, people get into comedy to control for how people laugh at them or why people mm. laugh at them. Mm-hmm. He's like, people are going to be laughing at you. So as long if you just, you know, get out of the, you get out, like if you're laughing too, then they're laughing with you, not at you by definition. Um, and I will say the point that you make about comedians often coming from troubled places, uh, that is something that is certainly uh, a commonly expressed idea and i'm not saying that it's not true but one time i remember uh someone i think nikki glazer or amy schumer was being interviewed about and there were the question was something like is it hard to be a woman in comedy and they're like it's hard to be in comedy Hmm. and that's the truth and also like comedians have it difficult but everyone has challenges. Everyone has difficulty. Like so few people don't come from troubled places. So few people don't have challenges, don't have loss. I just read uh, today a Buddhist story about a person named Kisa, I think, who lost a child and went to the Buddha despairing. And the Buddha said, I will bring your child back if you can go get, I think, white mustard seed from uh, any family that has not experienced loss. And she goes around to every family and every family has experienced loss. And so she returns and she's like, oh, uh, and that that, you know, doesn't bring her child back, but it brings her into communion with every family. Every living person is part of a family that has experienced loss. And uh, so sorry, I'm, I'm going off in a lot of directions, but the point is that every human being uh, experiences some suffering, every human being experiences some pain. Not every human being becomes a comedian, becomes an artist. Like, with with a comedian, you hear about it, you know about <laughs> right. it. Right, so it's, it's sort of like selection bias. Uh, yeah, you, you don't know, like, about are, are all the plumbers well-adjusted, <laughs> or are they just keeping quiet about their troubles? In some ways, like, like if somebody is talking about their problems, like, you know, somebody like at Alcoholics Anonymous are like, hi, my name is this and I'm an alcoholic. Like there is a problem, but there's also a solution underway, a mm-hmm. process. If you're not identifying the problem, maybe there's no problem or maybe there's double the problem, more of a problem because you're not aware of the problem. We all have blind spots and sometimes like I would say that in the past, I wasn't even aware that I had all the blind spots that I now, Oh, now I'm like a little farther ahead. I'm like, Oh, look at all those. Right. But I will also say 
specific to the question about me, I mean, and also, I guess this is still about everyone, like, we aren't unchanging, unmoving things. Like, we might have a concept of ourselves as like, this is me, or if you're a comedian, this is my brand, or like, the comedian that I am now is very different than the comedian that I was in vast ways from, like, from when I started. Um, like, I did... I didn't know about, you know, Pema Chodron, Ram Dass, Teek Nhat Hanh, uh, you know, Brene Brown, Byron Katie. I didn't know about all of the, you know, the self-help gurus, the spiritual teachers and learners that, you know, have existed for, you know, decades, centuries, millennia. Uh, I, I didn't, like, I didn't know so much. And so... I'm I'm very grateful that I that I've you know discovered like some of these through through like you know Pete Holmes and Duncan Trussell are comedians who have been sort of gateways into uh, you know your Deepak Chopra's and Eckhart Tolle's or Tolle's I still I never I never know <laughs> um, and I, I hear it really pisses him off when people mispronounce his name oh yeah he's he's the maddest <laughs> and he loses it he goes around slapping everyone. Um, and so the I, to go back to where I where I started as, you know, like a child, I my parents divorced when I was about 12 or 13. Like I did come from, you know, a loving I mean, I I think a loving family. I was I had enough food and shelter and was cared for. My parents were teachers. They, you know, had jobs like I know I know I know now that there's so many people that uh, didn't feel as safe and comfortable and supported and cared for uh, emotionally, financially, uh, as uh, culturally, racially. You know, uh, there are so many ways in which I have been fortunate. And then also in high school, I started at a new school and I was introverted and shy and didn't know really how to do anything, uh, like connect with people. And I I just sort of kept to myself and there were very solitary years. And, you know, if there is an ingredient that if that's an ingredient that, you know, helped make the mix of a comedian, perhaps a comedian ingredient. Yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's a fun lyric. Um, but I guess, I guess what I'm like, I think I've seen and I'm totally on the outside here that there's ways in which when you take that energy of whatever our, our brokenness is and you turn it into a shtick, that it doesn't necessarily lead to healing or the, the, the same kind of introspection. Like you can like I'm thinking about I can't remember who it was, but it was one comedian who was like, you know, his his persona, like fat, jolly guy and just got scary, scary um, health report and was feeling terrible, but found he couldn't lose weight because he ha he didn't know who he would be as a comedian. <laughs> If he wasn't the fat jolly guy, like 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 that metaphorically for like all of our our angst, it feels like you're really consciously, intentionally watering some some growth that that may you know that may cause you to change as a comedian, and it sounds a little scary. I I appreciate that. I I think that resonates with me other than I don't find it scary. I mean, other than like I used to be terrified to think about, you know, not existing. 
like the I because I'm like I've only known existence until I realized like I mean certainly I didn't exist before I did uh, or it, so one of a few things is true either I did exist before and I just don't know it or I didn't exist and I didn't know it either way I didn't know it and so afterwards like after death I'll either not exist and not know it exist and know it exist and not know it or not exist and know it that's kind of fun uh that that that's i think actually that's probably what it is i mean it's these words are are difficult to get at the truth but yeah i think after death i'll not exist and know it um and i used to be afraid when i thought about it but that wasn't i mean and i'm not saying that fear has to be productive but th there are ways in which Ah, oh, there, there's you, there's so many seeds planted, and I I want to grow them all, but I can't. Uh, but there's a, an experience I had years ago where I marijuana is not really my thing, but I like vaped some marijuana at a party uh, with some friends in like a nice environment, and I and it like I don't like smoking, but the vaping went in so smoothly, and like my head got high immediately. And I felt good. And I was like, oh, this feels good. But then I immediately worried. I'm like, but what if I took too much? What if it doesn't stop there? What if it gets higher and higher and I lose my mind and I freak out? What if I freak out later? And then I was actually able in the moment to be like, well, if you're going to freak out later, then freak out later. If you're <laughs> like you, you, there's two times. If there's now and later, you can freak out now, you can freak out later, or you can do not freak out now and not freak out later. It's, if you can control it right now, you can not freak out now. And if you're going to freak out later, freak out later. Deal with that then. If you freak out now, it's actually, you're freaking out, you're definitely at least freaking out once. But if you're not, so, so similarly with death, I'm like, okay, death is going to be whatever death is. And I used to be terrified of it. So it, it's either death is terrifying when it happens and now, or just like, live as productively and positively and fulfillingly and addressing the, the ills of the world and what I can in myself uh, and doing what I can now, like it is something that logically makes sense to me. And I also understand if not everyone can feel that and do that immediately, but there are things like, you know, keeping a gratitude journal, like, you know, writing th three things down when you wake up or when you go to sleep, like being like, what am I grateful for today? Now, what do I have? Like, if there is unhappiness, like any pain in your life will be gone when you're dead. Any like thing that you're afraid of about the future is because you're happy about what you have now. Maybe you're worried about losing it. Like, or if you're, if you're not like, there's so many, I don't know all the things I can't do all, uh, all the iterations and all the examples, even though, and I'm like, oh no, why? I'm terrified. I got to stop. Uh, and so I guess the point is that there is in between here and death as well. The point, I, there's a lot of points between here and death. And they, in, they involve our bodies and our minds, you know, going through changes, sometimes challenging changes. Some like Ramdas wrote a book uh, about his aging process, about his stroke. He's talked about, you know, like in preparation for death, he, I think his documentary and maybe a book is called becoming no one or becoming nobody. Mm. And like, that's that can, I understand that can be intellectually scary or maybe actually scary because our whole, the beginning of our lives is about 
becoming someone, becoming something, being like, this is who we are. Who are we? What do we do? Like Picasso, I think, said the first half of your life is about is dedicated to discovering your gift. And then the second half of your life is dedicated to giving it, giving it away. And in a way, it's like breathing in and breathing out, like existing and then not existing. And for me, it was going from a place of not understanding any of that to understanding some of it, to having, to not having this concept at all, to having it, to even learning about the concept of watering seeds, to learning about the concept of watering seeds, or like the Native American story of uh, the grandchild and the grandparent. Uh, and the grandparent says, inside of each person are two wolves. One is the angry wolf, the, the wolf of fear and negativity and darkness. And then the other wolf, the wolf of compassion and love and kindness. And these wolves are fighting all of the time. And the child says, who will win? Which wolf will win? And the grandparent says, whichever one you feed. So it's basically the same as the seeds. It's like, what, what do you feed in yourself? Like literally, what are you feeding yourself and metaphorically and symbolically and spiritually? And with your time and attention and focus, who are you spending time with? How are you spending your time? Like, what are you reading? What are you watching? Like, what are you engaging with? And I came from a place of wanting to do everything, wanting to do all the good things, all the, like, read all the best books and watch all the best movies and, you know, learn all the best facts and, and enjoy all the best sunsets and friendships and realizing that, in one human lifetime, in this manifestation, uh, that I am or that is me, uh, I I can't. Anything that I do is a billion things that I'm not doing, but it's a thing that I'm doing. And uh, I'm trying not to feel guilty about all the great books you're not reading this hour. <laughs> I mean, I can. I'm only. I'm doing one at a time. I'm reading a wonderful one now by Ursula Le Guin, who I just discovered. Oh, which one? Called the Lathe of Heaven. Ooh. Uh, it's really wonderful. It's about a man whose dreams can affect reality. And it's, I don't want to say any more than that, but also symbolically, like all of our dreams, thoughts, actions, everything that we do literally does affect reality on at least the scale of our doing it. Whatever thought mm -hmm. we have is the next is now a part of reality because our brains are a part of reality. Our bodies are. So just back to the question of if, if anyone out there is symbolically or actually a fat comedian who has their whole act built around being the fat person. Uh, and you're worried that you won't have an act if you aren't fat. Uh, I think that's nonsense. I mean, in a way that you're a comedian, you're capable. You, you are not only your body, you are your mind, your brain, your thoughts. You like we are all a potential like every comedian I know. I mean, there's a wonderful comedian named Ron Punches who was large and then lost a lot of weight. He is still funny, still himself, uh probably an even better comedian now for having had these additional experiences. Like the idea that, you know, a person's comedy has to be or should be or even can be only one thing uh, is fortunately nonsense. Uh, so that's the way that in my life, I'm not, I mean, I'm not worried about changing. Like 
sometimes I we haven't talked about specifically a psychedelic that I have engaged with uh, ayahuasca over the last five or six years um, every once in a while and it is a, a mind altering and in many ways life altering which is the in some ways the same thing experience and sometimes people have heard stories about it and heard that it's like the chemical in your brain DMT that is released when you die is what the active ingredient of ayahuasca is and like isn't that you know is it terrifying it can be is it that somebody people ask sometimes like aren't you afraid that you'll do it and then you'll never be the same and I would say are you afraid of not doing it and never changing, never growing, <laughs> never learning, never adapting, never evolving. Like, and of course that's, it's impossible to not change. Everyone is always learning new things, having new experiences, becoming a slightly different person, materially, physically, energetically, chemically, uh, molecularly, spiritually, emotionally, all of the time. And like the same, the same way, the, here's an analogy I haven't thought of, that Harry Shearer says people get into comedy to help control for why people are laughing, to get in on it. Like, you can do that with your change as well, which if you're, you're definitely moving forward in time, which way do you want to be facing? Where do you want to be heading? What do you want to do? Like they say, the way we spend our days is the way we spend our lives. Uh, so, you know, and I, that... It was just New Year's Day, and I was like, okay, what do I want to do this day? Because it's the first day of the year. It's the first day of a decade. It's the first, like, this is the day that sets it all in motion. And I did some things that I wanted to, and then I didn't do everything that I wanted to because I didn't have time to do everything. And so I'm like, okay, so the way we spend our weeks is the way. So the next <laughs> day I did some other things. And, like, we're not in trouble if we don't do everything that we can, but why don't we want to do, I mean, and we are doing everything that we can. So uh, I don't know if that answered your question. Right. Well, and, and to me, it's a, <laughs> it's a lesson for all of us. Like we all, whether, you know, whether we're comics or not, we all have our identities and, and they can be very comfortable places and they can be very stultifying places. So just, you know, actually on the, on the 13th, I have an interview with a uh, ayahuasca shaman. So oh, it's interesting okay. that we're, uh, we're, Oh yeah, that pre makes sense. Pre Predating it. Oh, it's plants. Can I can I say oh yeah, of course. Uh there's a, a wonderful book that I just got and read some of called When Plants Dream about like the uh, history and politics and uh, like sort of social and otherwise impacts of ayahuasca. Hmm. Um but I do also uh I wanted to say that and I wanted to say other things. Oh yeah. If, if your identity is of value to you, which I also understand I've been a person and still am probably in many ways whose identity is of value. Uh, also intellectually knowing that you're, you are changing. And if your identity involves being true to yourself and honest with yourself and understands that you're going to be taking in new experiences and, you know, using your regrets of the past as fuel for future positive action, like have that be part of your identity. Your your fixed identity can be ah a person <laughs> whose identity is unfixed and moving forward and changing. And the idea that if my comedy, if com if a comedian used to be a broken person, a damaged person, like the goal, the arc of a life is hopefully working on the ways that we are 
you know, damaged, broken, fixing. Like like the uh, the Leonard Cohen lyric that I love, I think the song Anthem, mm. he says, uh, you know, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And it it's the most beautiful thing to even just, like it makes me tear up to think about it. Uh, like every everything has a crack and that's the way light gets in and then can, you know, you can you can see what is there you can then and seeing it and naming it is is and or can be a first step towards working on it and processing it and talking about it and sharing it and connecting it with others and so i i think it would be wonderful to be like hey comedian you used to be all you know sad and broken and mm. talking about your identity of and, and maybe some comedians do like because it's been in some ways valuable and fruitful for them be like i'm the angry guy i'm the sad guy i'm the self-deprecating guy but i mean personally i used to have jokes about how i seemed like a guy that like girls you know wouldn't like and as a child i felt like i was a guy that girls didn't like like and i didn't you know didn't have a girlfriend till I was like, you know, 16 or 17, which seemed like everyone else was doing it before then. But then, you know, I started uh, being a person who understood uh, that I could, uh, I, that I was of value and I could offer something and I could share something and have relationships. And, but then the jokes like lagged. The jokes were like, ah, <laughs> oh, look, look at me. Or the jokes became about like, ah, oh, you probably think I'm this guy. Uh, I used to be that guy, but I'm not that guy, but you think I am. And eventually I'm like, that's not even, I don't need to water those seeds anymore. I can <laughs> water the seeds uh, of the seed watering. Right. And, and I connect with that very strongly just as someone who sees myself knee jerk self deprecate. <laughs> right. Like, oh, this is like, oh, this yeah. feels like hey, this is an old act. And, and yeah. <laughs> I think that it's a valuable it's a valuable tool uh, because and there's a thing I love that I, I feel like I'm paraphrasing that the Buddha has said so many different things. He has advice for so many different situations that some of the pieces of advice are conflicting. And you're like, well, how could he say this and this? Well, different people need different advice at different times. If somebody is you know, beating themselves up all the time, like probably the advice wouldn't be, hey, you should learn how to self-deprecate. Or maybe it is actually. Or if, if somebody is too full of themselves, maybe they need to learn how to self-deprecate. Maybe that advice works for everybody. But if you're like too high strung, maybe you need to hear relax. If you're too relaxed, maybe you don't need to hear relax because you already know relax. Like if you've breathed in, the advice is exhale. If you've breathed out, the advice <laughs> is inhale. The opposite advice can be right for different circumstances. So I think that I commend you for having the, the possibility to self-deprecate if it seems like let, if you're in waters that are too self-laudatory, be like, oh, but who am I? You know, <laughs> like there's a thing from the Talmud that says uh, uh, a rabbi had two pieces of paper in his pocket. One of them says this world was created for you. The other one says we are nothing but ash and dust. And so sometimes it's important to remember one and sometimes it's important to remember the other because they're both uh in in ways universally true. I love it. I love it. So before before I send you off, where can people find your work, uh, follow you, give you sure. money? <laughs> uh, that's very nice of you to ask. Uh, so my name is Mike Kaplan, and I spell it M Y Q K A P L A N. 
Uh, Mike Kaplan, spelled like that, is all of my social media. It's uh, so that's where you can find jokes and uh, my website usually has links to shows i live in new york i do shows here a lot i travel as much as possible if you're somewhere that there is comedy ask them for me to come there and hopefully i will uh i do have albums that you can listen to from anywhere uh i'll have a new one coming out this year called all killing aside uh the most recent one's called no kidding they're all wherever albums are uh i do have a special on amazon that you can watch called small dork and handsome and uh, my, pod, my podcast is called Broccoli and Ice Cream. And each week I speak to somebody about the work of their life and the joys of their life. Uh, and so one episode comes out for free, wherever free podcasts are. And a bonus one is available at Patreon uh, for less than, it usually turns out, less than a dollar an episode. Like four bucks a month gets you four or five episodes. Uh, hearing about the joy usually when I've talked about the work for free. Work for free, joy for money. Uh, so that's how you can give me money on my Patreon and my albums and, uh, and come to see live comedy shows. And I think that's, uh, that's most of who I am and what I do. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for, for everything, for all the laughs you have, uh, allowed me to have and for taking the time today and for your advocacy for a better world. I really appreciate it. Thank you. They say that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. So anything nice that you said about me is secretly something that is nice about yourself. All right. And you're very handsome, too. Uh, (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right, dear listener, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, or at least half as much, or or three-eighths as much as I did, because I hope you could tell I enjoyed it a great deal. If you'd like to catch the show notes for the show, and there's a lot of stuff in there. There's the books that we talked about. There's the video of our conversation embedded at plantyourself.com slash 360. And there's also a link to Mike's website, which I don't know how you would ever find without, without my help. M-Y-Q Kaplan dot com. Um, so if you're smiling, if you're inspired, now is a great time to do me a whole bunch of favors, as in you can go to... Apple Podcasts and leave a review of this episode or the podcast in general. That helps us find more viewers. You can become a patron of the show over at patreon.com. Just search for Plant Yourself. An ongoing monthly contribution makes a huge difference in my life. Not only does it give me a real tangible sense of the community that's behind this show and part of it and whom I'm serving. It also, frankly, takes a lot of the financial pressure off. As you know, I do this in my spare time. I don't do advertising. Uh, I don't do affiliate commissions generally. Um, So, you know, if you want to help um, shoulder the burden of making this free for everyone in the world who has access to a podcast player on the Internet, uh, that would be much appreciated. What else? I would say I'm two weeks out from releasing Josh Lajani and my next book, which we don't quite have a title for yet. Um, If you have any good ideas, let me know. It's basically Josh's story of how to become an athlete when you're starting out really obese. And there's a first chapter available. I'm going to put that on the show notes uh, for today for plantyourself.com slash 360. I'll put up a PDF to the introductory chapter, which will give you a sense of what the book is about. Um, de- we're definitely looking for good, uh, catchy, benefit-driven titles. Like if someone just saw that title and nothing else, 
and they were an obese person who wanted to become an athlete, they would go, oh, my gosh, I've got to get that book. That's for me. So I'll, I'll post that in the show notes. I'll also post it on the Plant Yourself social media page on Facebook and uh, links to on, uh, on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff as well. By the way, on Twitter and Instagram, if you're trying to find me, it's Ask Howie. Uh, not plant yourself because plant yourself was taken and I had asked Howie from years before. So that's where you can find me on those social media uh, media. I guess media is already plural. Uh, what else? Uh, well, this has been a long show already, so I'll just get right to uh, garden news. No garden news. Running news. Did a half marathon with Geo. On was it Saturday or Sunday? I think it was Saturday. And Sunday I played Ultimate Frisbee. And I averaged, a, we averaged a 930 pace, which is not bad. So getting, getting back in the saddle. All right, time for thanks. Thanks, of course, to Will Ridenauer, musician extraordinaire, for allowing me to use Sabali Don, the Dance of Peace, as the theme music for this show. Check out willridenauer.com. That's R I D E N O U R. WillRidenour.com for more of his beautiful music and for information about upcoming shows. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Here we go. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Woody, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hadley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Alan Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Lenofsky, David Isaac, Mysterious Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolan, Manova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleague Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Julian Rollins, Dune Only, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Junette Benham, Gila, Sarah David Dondi, Blair Cyber, Jordan Divisov, Gio and Carol Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Mosin, Michael Warbeck, Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z. Leach, Lambus, Becca Hughes, Alan, and Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Berger, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Amon, Molly Levine. The Inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Lashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Organ, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marin Blub, Teresa Coppola, Julichelle Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Brito Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Roseland, Diat, Julie Lang, Helm, Hedda Gardy, Susan Wakati, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Lavie Bill L, Heather Connor, Carolyn Jessen, Cherry Lewakoski, Plant Parrot for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle Land, Jesse Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Heslin, Valerie Peltier, Peter L. Evans, Colin Harrison, Justin Dimmitt. Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanning, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Humble, Deb Casilla, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Cards, D.M. Bishop, Del Elf, Peter Schmidt, Mark Lewis, Kelly Moulton, Trisha Adams, Ian Cranor, Nancy Shelton, Lindsay Bacher, Gunbury Tagan, Tarsia Gullish, Laura Heaton, Meg from Amistez, Rachel Kennedy, Joan Borstein, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, and Josie Dempsey for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. 
And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit, send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest, or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barnes, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Air Adams, Tom Fronsek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argentati, Jody Friesner, with Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harperson, Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Colm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzawa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski, a plant powered for health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Petty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Cartson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.